Well, good morning, and didn't Scott do a great job at communion? Scott is, a, uh, is uh, one of our candidates this year to um, become an elder in the life of our church, and I want you to know that uh, myself and all the elders are unanimous in um, bringing to you Scott to be an elder here in the life of our church. I've known Scott for many, many years. Scott is a local businessman, physiotherapist, local physiotherapy uh, business, and, uh, but more than that, he's a man of God. And uh, we believe that Scott has, uh, uh, will make a, a significant contribution in the life of our church as we move forward. And so uh, uh, in a couple of weeks' time, when you get that opportunity, we want you to know that we are unanimous in, uh, in Scott coming on board as an elder here at Door of Hope. Can we encourage Scott? Is that okay? Yeah. Let's just address the elephant in the room. <clears throat> And that is that uh, it is a hug a Geelong supporter day today. All right? Virt- virtual hug, of course. All right? We've got a couple of uh, supporters there. Um, but uh, Craig and uh, Ben and the rest of the crew, congratulations uh, on your team beating my 15-year-old son's team uh, last night. And uh, he got the privilege to fly up and to be there to see his team lose uh, in the grand final. He's a member of the Geelong football team and they uh, sat behind the goals and enjoyed the first half. But uh, after that, kind of went downhill. <laughs> very quickly. <laughs> Let me just pray as we come before the Lord in, our, in the word this morning. Heavenly Father, this is your word. It's alive and it's active and we pray that you would speak to our hearts right now. Um, I pray for us each as we gather here in Jesus' name that you would speak to us about this very important and very sensitive topic that affects us all. And it's in Jesus' name we give you the glory. Amen and amen. Well, we're in this series. This is the fifth and final part before we move into the long weekend. We've got a very special long weekend uh, service planned for you next weekend. But this is the fifth and final part in our series, Toxic, where we are being reminded of the things that come into our lives uh, that sometimes need to be addressed and removed. And um, today's topic is that of, 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 of our thoughts, of the way we think, because it all begins in the mind. Just by the way, as we have, um, as we uh, have physical health, as we have spiritual health, as we have emotional health, we also have mental health, of course. And isn't it a great thing in um, in the public space with 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 um, campaigns like "Are You Okay?" that we want to be a community of people. Um, that are vulnerable in this area of our lives. And sometimes God does his incredible work, but sometimes God sends people like the professionals uh, in our community to help us with this area of our lives. And so the way that God, which I'll address a bit more in a moment, but the way that God created the mind, I absolutely believe is, it just fascinates me, um, that he has given us the ability to think But the question is, don't you agree, is what is it that we think about? Can I start with this statement this morning? And it's this, that your life moves in the direction of your strongest thoughts. Your life moves in the direction of your strongest thoughts. I believe the Apostle Paul addresses the church in Philippi. I was thinking about, I woke this up last night, why Paul talks about this part of our lives so much. He addresses the church in Philippi, he addresses the church in Rome, and he addresses the church in uh, Corinth. I'm sure other churches, they're just the three churches I was thinking about uh, as I woke up this morning thinking about that. 
But I think he would say to us that the mind is the greatest asset, but it's also the greatest target. But the good news is that God has equipped us by his word and in his word to live a life of peace of, and of joy. And with all the readings that I've written, I'm sure you have as well. In fact, science is catching up. Science is catching up with the living word of God in what Paul teaches the church in regards to our minds and in regards to our thinking. For example, you might be familiar with Philippians chapter 4. It's not on the screen. I'm just going to read this. Paul wanted the church in Philippi to understand this. That whatever is true, you're familiar with the passage? Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, whatever is excellent, praiseworthy. He said to what? He said to what? He said, think to marinate that these things that are on your life and follow because your, your, your life moves in the direction of your strongest thoughts. And so the Apostle Paul, I've been thinking through this a bit, he knew that our thinking is in fact connected with our well-being. Um, that it affects the direction of our lives. You see, what we think about affects so many things. It affects our words. It affects our attitude. It affects our decisions, our emotions, how we relate to ourselves how we relate to other people, and of course, in how we relate to God. Just a quick question. How many of us have a family member in the life of our own families who tend to talk to themselves a little bit more than other family members? You get the idea? Yeah, we've got a few. <laughs> I see. Yeah, you both do. Okay. Uh, <laughs> and of course, some of us overthink things, don't we? We overthink. We, we go to certain places in our minds. And I guess that's why Paul addresses this, because he knows we're going to overthink things. It's not necessary. So my question to us this morning is this. Is your thought life more positive or negative? Now, let's just take you know, the Sunday mask off a little bit. And let's just address this head on, because everybody, I want you to know, everybody wrestles with this. Everybody wrestles with this. You aren't alone in this. And some of the research, some of the readings that I've read leading up to this, one of the quotes said this, that 70%, 70% of our mental chatter, 70% is self-critical, pessimistic, or fearful. I don't know about you, I read that percentage, and whether it's true or not, um, that needs to be addressed. We need to talk about the, these, this kind of thing. And so we all have these negative messages about ourselves that play back over and over in our minds, messages that aren't necessarily helpful, messages that aren't necessarily from God. And for some of us, we've carried for years. You see, your life moves in the direction of your strongest thoughts. Let's have a look at what Paul wrote to the church in Rome, first of all. Is it okay? Well, we look to the church in Philippi. Let's go to Romans chapter 8, verse 5 to 6. This is from the NLT, New Living Translation. He says this, Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. 
So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to what? Leads to death. But letting the spirit control your mind leads to, say these two words with me, life and peace. Life and peace. You see, our lives are moving in the direction of our strongest thoughts. Can I give you another one? And it's this, changing your mind. Once again, I believe Paul would say this to us today. Changing your mind can change your life. Let's talk about Paul just for a moment. This incredible um, man who killed Christians for a living, encountered God on the road to Damascus. I am absolutely amazed that constant imprisonment because of his convictions didn't cause him to second guess himself or to second guess God. In fact, as you read his writings, you will certainly come to realize that there is no hint at all of self-pity in his life and his writings. In fact, he radiates joy in the midst of darkness. That Christ is proclaimed. That he has friendship with those in whom he writes to. But there is joy in Jesus in the midst of this. And so today, today, we're going to do some gardening. Where are the gardeners in the house today? Come on, put your hands up. I've done a little bit of gardening this last couple of days. Thank you. And I'm not the best. But I know some of you really love doing that and getting out there. And so here's what we're going to do. We're going to do some gardening today. And we're going to plant some thoughts in the gardens of our minds. Is that okay? The question, the question for you this morning is this. What are you intentionally, right at this moment, what are you, what are you planting, intentionally planting in the garden of your mind? Have a think about that. Once again, let's go to Paul's letter to the church in Rome, chapter 12, verse 2. He says this. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but, and here's the shift, here's the shift, be transformed. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. In other words, what the writer, what Paul is saying here is the change that comes in our lives isn't all about doing something different. The change in our lives is primarily about thinking something different. Thinking something different leads us to always doing something different. Hang in there. Let me explain what I'm trying to say. That Paul is saying here that before you can be transformed, by the way, the word there is metamorphosis. From a caterpillar in a cocoon to a butterfly in the sky. And it begins, Paul is saying, transformation, this metamorphosis, Begins with the renewing of the mind. In other words, in other words, today we're going to get this picture that you are the gardener. Yeah, you are the gardener and your mind is the garden. That's the picture that we want to take into um, the rest of our time together here this morning. And so having said that, maybe you, 
Maybe you or somebody else has planted a thought in your mind. Maybe a friend has planted a thought in your mind. Maybe something in what we've seen on our screen comes to our mind and it's something that's being planted there. Maybe the spiritual enemy has planted something in your mind. But in the garden of our minds, what we need to understand as we move forward here is that you... I, that we are the gardeners. And by by His Holy Spirit, by His Holy Spirit, we have the ability to garden well and to cultivate what we think about. And so Paul is saying that it's possible for you to no longer be conformed, no longer be conformed to the pattern of this world. Why? Because you are in a different story. And you get there... By what does he say? You get there by uh, renewing your mind to what God has to say about you. Uh, King Solomon in uh, Proverbs chapter 23 verse 7 says this, For as he thinks in his heart, for as he thinks in his heart, so is he. In other words, whatever we are hosting in the garden of our minds is ultimately going to give you the crop and it's called your future. Yeah, we're following? And so I believe, absolutely believe, that God wants us to win the battle of our minds. And so my question to us is this, what is it that's been planted there that needs to go? But also, what needs to be planted there so that in a season to come, you'll be that person that God has called you to be. Let's go to the church in Corinth. Because Paul writes this in chapter uh, 10, 10, verse 3 to 5. He says this, For though we live in the world, church, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. Verse 4, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. And we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take a few thoughts here. No, no, no. We take what? We take every thought to, to, be, to make it obedient to Christ. In other words, in other words, every thought that goes into the gardens of our minds that isn't of God, we have the ability, Paul is saying, as gardeners of that garden to take that thought captive, to weed it out and to make it obedient to Christ. Are we following this morning? Yeah? Yeah? Come on. How do we do that? All right, fair enough, Steve. How do we do that? Look, just a couple of quick ideas, and then I'm going to move on to four thoughts, and I'm done. A couple of quick ideas is this. First thing I think we need to do is we need to do an audit of the garden of our minds. We need to investigate. We need to interrogate because you can't change what you think about until you know what you think about. The second thing I think we've got to do is this. That is it consistent... Is it consistent with God's living and active word in what you were thinking about? And if it's not, we've got to take the word of God, which is the renewing part. It's the renewing part. We've got to wrap that thought up with the renewing power of the truth, of the truth of God's word. And we take that thought captive, that weed, 
that is growing up and is harmful to us, we take that thought to Christ, be obedient, and guess what? That's good gardening. You see, whatever we sow, what happens? We will reap. What you sow, you will reap. And if you don't garden well, and you let that thought that isn't consistent or lined up with the living word of God, and you let that thought that weed take root in your mind, we're going to reap more of that. And I believe God's saying to us this morning to garden well, to garden well. And so gardening, from what I've figured out, I do a little bit here and there. I just mowed the lawns there the other day and um, uh, you know, uh, just trimmed a, a couple of um, uh, bushes around the house because, I mean, it's, it's spring, isn't it? And things, things are growing pretty quick, but it doesn't look beautiful at the moment. I mean, it's an incredible place we live here, isn't it, in spring? Anyway, so I did a little bit of gardening. This is what I figured out. This is, there are two parts to gardening. Is that okay if we got that there? That we weed or uproot. And we plant. Generally, generally, we weed and we plant. So we we can rake out, we can turn things upside down, we prepare the land, we sow, we water, we cultivate, and then we reap. But the same goes with this. The same goes with the living word of God. You see, it doesn't just put good things into our lives, the living word of God, but it has the power to rake out the things that we don't want um, out of our lives, we, um, we, we, we weed or we uproot, but we also plant. So the question again is this, what are you intentionally planting in the garden of your mind? Because my question is this this morning, is it time to weed it out, but is also time to plant? Is it time to change the narrative that's going on and on in your mind? And so, with the remaining time we have together here this morning, wow, um, I'm going to encourage us to plant four thoughts in the garden of our minds. And they can take something dead and make come alive again. They can take that which has been broken and make whole once again. If you plant these thoughts and give them time to take root and you uh, stay with them, you cultivate them, you will see a different you in the season ahead by God's Holy Spirit and His power in and through that. Number one, and it's this. I am in God's story. I am in God's story. We need to plant that thought in the gardens of our mind. And here's why it's not natural for human beings who are fallen to have that thought in the garden of our minds. But God, but God, by his Holy Spirit, can awaken this thought that I am in God's story. Not the other way around. You have to play, plant that thought daily until it takes root in your life and it produces the fruit that what? That you, that I, that we, I am in God's story. Not, not a trick question. Feel free to yell out. Don't mind. Bit of heckling. That's okay. The first sentence in Genesis chapter 1 verse 1 is what? Yeah. In the beginning what? In the beginning Wayne. <laughs> It wasn't that at all, was it, Wayne? And sometimes we do. Sometimes, put my name, put your name in. Sometimes we do. We think that in the beginning it was Steve. And it's not. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. In other words, it didn't start with me. I, I certainly didn't create it, and I know you didn't, but I am in a story that began with God. And guess what? 
That's my reference point for life. When my nephew called me from Queensland in his early 20s a couple of years ago, when, when the society, when Australia was voting on certain things in life, he asked me, Steve, because he's not a follower yet, he asked me, Steve, where do you stand? And I, I could easily tell him where I stood. This is my foundation. This is my reference point for life. But he could not tell me. He could not tell me what his reference point for life is. And without that, your life is but a sinking sand. That is my, and that's what I could simply say. That's my reference point. That's where my vote's coming from. That is my reference point. Now, where was I? <laughs> I've, got off my, I've got off my notes. Through which, by the way, through which I see everything, including me, including me. I am in God's story. Um, I don't know if you've ever been to a large shopping centre. Of course, here in Tasmania, we don't have a Westfield. But for some of you, you know, you, uh, you've been to a Westfield. And uh, Where are the shoppers in the house? Come on. I, I love shopping. I love shopping. I think I'm the only guy except for me and Ben. Fantastic. I love going to do a bit of a shop. And when you go to these shopping centres like Westfield, um, you go looking for specific stores. If you're like me, I go to the sports stores, running stores and things like that. And by the way, Scott's a runner. Makes him even more anointed. <sighs> Anyway, to find, to, find this, to find a certain store, you have to go to the directory. And generally, the, directory, the directories um, are at the top of the escalator, and they're all color-coded. You get the idea. But it doesn't make sense until you find that, what? That you are here. That you are here. And it's color-coded, and you kind of get the idea. And once you find out where you are, you can actually work your way to your destination. But you have to figure out at some time, at some point, that you are here. And guess what? I am here and this is my reference point this is my location based on my relationship with the living lord jesus christ what he's done for me how he's uniquely wired me this is my reference point for life that i am in god's story and unless we get that as a reference point i believe we actually miss out on everything in life unless we plant that thought that i am in god's story that it isn't about me that i've been graciously invited in given that front row seat in the story of god and we've got to plant that thought in the eye in the gardens of our minds the second thought we're going to plant is this that i am fearfully and wonderfully made. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. We're going to plant that thought in the gardens of our mind. Why? Because we won't get that at school. We won't get that necessarily in the workplace. We may not get that from mum or from dad or from a guardian. We may not get that in our culture. We may not get that from a school teacher. We've got to plant that thought in the garden of our minds. This is one of the greatest passages. Uh, fearfully and wonderfully made. Psalm 139, verse 14 to be exact. One of the greatest passages about the miracle of, of human conception and birth, um, about divine design that you and I, we are not accident. But you think about the combination of these two words just for a moment, if we could. Fearfully and wonderfully. First of all, fearfully. Do you ever hear that word in a sentence? Not necessarily. But let's talk about it just for a moment. The word fearfully is when you think about you from the perspective of the creator. Fearfully, that you are fearfully. It's when you think about you from the perspective of the creator. It's beyond our ability to 
understand that we are fearfully, not just fearfully, but we are wonderfully made. At the same time, at its root, by the way, that word actually means specifically made. Specifically made. Not like the galaxies and the oceans and those kind of small things. But we are uniquely and distinctly made. Um, you may have heard of a, of a theological term um, called Imago Dei. It's a, it's a theological term applied to uniquely to humans. Imago Dei, meaning uh, that we are made in the image of God. That we are image bearers of the divine. And so we've got to plant that thought in the gardens of our minds because that's who I am. That's who you are. We are what we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And nothing in all of creation can say that. The third thought we've got to plant is this, that my life has purpose. My life has purpose. Yeah, and of course, you know, I work here and I work, or I work there. I, I'm studying to work. There. I have a career. I'm a parent. Of course I have purpose, but that's not the kind of purpose that follows on from this particular statement, fearfully and wonderfully, because we're talking about the purpose that goes back to the last word of fearfully and wonderfully made. And guess what? When you are made, it implies that you have a purpose. You have a purpose. When you are made, you see, made things imply, first of all, that there is a maker. And when you imply that there is a maker... You can clearly say and stand that I am not random. I am not an accident. I have purpose. My life matters. I am fearfully and wonderfully made, which means there is an assignment for me on earth, which means there is a reason for me to breathe that next breath of fresh air. It means for me that there is a lane for me to run in and something for me to do, a cause for which I was born. It means that there is something honorable about my contribution to this planet. Guess what? My life, your life, our lives have purpose. We've been told too long we've come from nothing. We've been told too long we're going nowhere. And we've been, too lo too, uh, we've been told too long that there's no sense uh, in the meaning of everything gathered in the middle. Guess what? We have to plant that thought in the gardens of our mind. We need to walk. Water it. We need to cultivate it. We need to let God develop it. We need to let the word reinforce it. So Paul, as he says, so I do not think like the pattern of this world, but I am transformed with the renewing of my mind. Amen. Wow. Let's go to the fourth and final one, and I'm done, and it's this. Uh, the team could please come. And it's this. The cross has the final word. The cross has the final word. We have to plant that thought in the gardens of our minds. Why? Because you'll be, you'll be actually agreeing with the declaration of victory over our lives. What's the victory in which we, we just sung about it, didn't we? In Christ alone. In Christ alone, the victory is in the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And without planting that thought in our minds and letting it take root, you may circle around the airport called victory. But you're never going to land that plane. You're never going to pull up the gate and walk in the fullness and the freedom of what God has done for you. The cross has the final word about what? About first of all about God and then about you. Let's talk about God just for a moment and we're done. First of all about God. You might remember as we go back to the first word about God in scripture. What was it? What got planted in the minds of Adam and Eve about God literally, literally in the garden. By the enemy. God isn't good. 
God can't be trusted. You are your own God. God doesn't want to give you his absolute best. That was that's what got planted in the minds of Adam and Eve. But guess what? The cross got the final word. What was it? That God is good. That God is good. We sing about this. That God is trustworthy. And left with the option of living with or without you. He'll come for you. Not to get something from you. But to give everything to you. You see, the cross has the final word, yes, about God. But it also has the final word about you. And I don't know what brought you here this morning. And it's not an accident that you are here. But you are a person. Hear me, hear me. Someone needs to hear me. You are a person of great worth to God. Greater love has no man than this to lay down his life for his friends. Paul to the church in Rome. But God... Uh, chapter 5 verse 8 but God demonstrates his own love for us in this while we were still sinners Christ died for us in other words the cross the cross has the final word what's the cross followed by the cross is followed by nothing the cross has the final word about God and about you and about me Jesus has the final say and has he speaks to who you are he speaks to how God feels about you that he loves you that he longs for you he speaks to the, the pathway to forgiveness and to mercy that God is saying to plant that thought that the cross gets to define your worth We've got to water that reality, let it grow up in our minds, and until it forms the structure by which we organize every other thought in our lives, that I'm planning that thought, I know about you, in the garden of my mind, because that's how I'm going to win the battle of this. And it's up to you. It's up to you now. It's up to you. God said it. It's up to you to now start planting it. Then you have to water it. You have to nurture it and cultivate it. Because as you do that, here's what's going to happen. As we wake up tomorrow, we're going to say this, that I am in the story of God. Not just that. We're going to say that I am fearfully and wonderfully made. We're going to say that I have a purpose that I'm made by a maker. I've come from something, from someone, and I'm going somewhere. And guess what? We're going to stand.